Good morning. Well, hey, my name is Matt. I'm the youth pastor here at Renovation Church. Uh, what kind of a weird April Fool's Day weekend we had, right? Like early last week, it was like high 30s, low 40s. We're wearing light jackets, you know, and, and then on Friday, you know, nature's just like, ha, it's winter again. And then we get like freezing rain, 80 inches of snow. And then again yesterday, it's like 45 and sunny and we're dealing with all the snow. And so, man, just a just a weird weekend. Well, hopefully you guys had a good April Fool's Day. Hopefully you had a couple good jokes that you uh, told. But hey, this morning we are in the last week of a series called Parables of Eternity. And in this series, we've been going through Matthew 13, where Jesus is sharing parables, right? Stories and, and, and images about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And now the kingdom of heaven is what life is like when people let God rule and reign in their lives. And it's foreshadowing eternity that's going to come with God as, as believers, as we get to live with God forever and ever. And so that's what Jesus is talking about with these parables and in this series. Um, but our lead pastor, David, thought he'd play an April Fool's Day joke on us and have us end this series on parables without looking at a parable. And so uh, we're still going to be looking at a passage that has uh, really important implications and eternal implications this morning. Um, but it's not a parable, even though we're in a series of parables. And it just shows that here at Renovation Church, we don't bend the Bible to our series, but we bend our series to what the Bible says. And so that being said, go ahead and grab a Bible. There should be one underneath the chair in front of you. And meet me in Matthew chapter 13. It should be on page 667 if you're using one of the Bible's here. If you want a quick shortcut to find it, you can just look for the large 14, and we're going to be right above that. And I will join you there in a second. So I became a Christian when I was 19. It was the summer between my freshman year and my sophomore year of college. And so I was also going through another transition in that period. I was transitioning, I was transferring colleges from the University of Minnesota down to TCU in Texas. And so at the U, I had, you know, a good group of friends. They're, they're good guys, but not believers. And so as I'm transferring, I become a Christian. And then I, I moved to Texas and I'm kind of learning, how do I do life? Like, how do I, how do I walk with Jesus? And, and then I, I made Christian friends and I was in Christian organizations, a part of a college ministry. And so I was just trying to figure out what life looked like. And then I hit uh, fall break, middle of October, and I come back home to Minnesota and I wanted to hang out and see my college friends from the University of Minnesota. And so I went down there uh, one weekend to hang out with them. And they said, hey, Matt, love for you to come down. Uh, just a heads up, we're, we're going to go to a party. would love for you to come with us. I said, great, we'd love to come with you guys. But just, hey, a heads up, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to drink. Uh, I'm a Christian now. I believe I'm underage and uh, Bible says not to get drunk. And so I'm, I'm not going to do that with you guys, but I would love to still go. And I had one of, one of my friends kind of just like tilted his head a little bit and looked at me and he goes, Matt, I know a ton of Christians that just get hammered on the weekends. And I was just like, you know, well, that's what a hypocrite is. Someone who says they believe one thing, yet they do another. And then I tried sharing a little bit more about what I'd believed in the gospel. I tried to share what God had been doing in my life, share how he was impacting me, how he was changing me. And I had like all five or six of my friends just blank faces like, what, what are you talking about? They didn't get it. I brought the, I, I went back to a familiar place with the gospel and it was hard and my friends didn't know what to do with me. You know, we all have familiar places in our lives, whether it's home or work or maybe holidays with extended families like Easter next weekend. And it can be really hard to go to those places with the gospel. 
It can be really hard to engage with those people with how God has changed your life. And the gospel is just the good news that Jesus has come to save us from our sins. And so today, as we're finishing up Matthew chapter 13, we're in a story where Jesus goes home. He goes home to share the news about the kingdom of heaven, but he's rejected and it's hard. So let's pick up in uh, Matthew chapter 13 and we'll start in verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, that's Nazareth, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. Verse 57 continues with this, But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, right? That's a double negative, and so we can say it this way. A prophet has honor except in in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. And so in Matthew chapter 13, right, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen Jesus teaching and preaching about the kingdom of heaven. Right? He's, been, he's been doing these amazing signs and miracles, and people are coming by, by the thousands to hear this guy speak. But then at the end of chapter 13 here, we see that Jesus goes home. Right? You know, he went home to, to Nazareth to see what's popping. You know, maybe Nazareth finally got a McDonald's, and that was a really big deal, and so he wanted to go check it out. He was welcomed with open arms in every other town that he went to except Nazareth. And it was hard. The people of Nazareth were astonished at his wisdom. Uh, they, they, were, they were kind of amazed at these miraculous works and wonders that he was doing, but they couldn't get past their sense of superiority. They, they were familiar with Jesus. They thought they knew him, but ultimately they rejected him. And if we kind of rewind over the past couple of weeks and look at the parables again with this story in view, we can see that Jesus has been describing these Jewish people of Nazareth, right? In the parable of the sower— they're the rocky soil where, where the gospel falls, but it doesn't uh, sprout up and bear any fruit. They're the ones that see Jesus and hear him, but they don't understand. They think they know him, but they can't understand what he's saying. They're the people that find treasure in a field, but in foolishness, they're not going to sell it all. They're not going to sell everything to go buy that treasure to have it. No, they rejected Jesus. And so these parables, kind of all together, are pointing to Israel's rejection of the kingdom of heaven and the ultimate uh, acceptance by the Gentiles, right? And so we kind of see this through line that Matthew is developing over Matthew chapter 13 that we've been in. And then if you, we, you read past in Matthew, we see it through the rest of the chapters. And so in Matthew 13, J- uh, Jesus is preaching to the Pharisees. He's preaching to a lot of Jewish people. And he's adding these, these lines in the parables like, hey, you're the rocky soil. Pharisees, you hear and see, but you don't understand. There's a treasure here with me, Jesus, but you guys aren't going to give up everything to have it. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's showing Israel's rejection, right? And it's the climax point when he goes home, right? If anybody's going to accept him, it's his hometown, right? I mean, if we think about like pro basketball players or, or celebrities, like, oh, they came from Minnesota or like, you know, they're from uh, Shakopee or somewhere that's really good at basketball, right? And so there's, there's pride there. But when Jesus goes back, they, they do not accept him. And so that's the quintessential point when we see the turn where, hey, Israel has rejected the gospel. They've rejected this good news about the kingdom of heaven. And so in, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 14 and, and past it, 
Jesus goes to the Gentiles. He brings the good news about being able to be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven as a citizen to the Gentiles. And so that's what he's doing here. And also, like, thank goodness that Jesus did that, because a Gentile is someone who's not a Jew. So most of us in here are Gentiles, so thank you, Jesus, for welcoming us into that. But hey, this morning, I think that there's three really important truths that we can find in our, uh, in our lives about, or about living for Christ in familiar places. And so the first one is this. In familiar places, it's hard to share the gospel. Jesus is bringing this amazing news about the kingdom of heaven home, and he's bringing it to the people that he knows best. You know, his friends that he used to, I don't know if they played any sports on the dirt fields those days that he played with in the streets. He's, he's going to extended family. He's going to neighbors. He's going home with this amazing news, and they reject him. And I wonder if some of you have kind of felt this before as well. Right? Maybe um, you've shared the gospel with someone who isn't really familiar with Christianity or isn't really familiar with the Bible. And there's, like a, le- there's a level—it depends on who you share it with— but there's a level of respect and, and receptance from that person. Right? They're, they're at least going to hear you out and, and try to understand what you're sharing with them. But then in other places, in a familiar place like home, with extended family, you don't have that reception. You don't have that respect. I experienced this um, when I was in Texas. After I graduated from TCU, I started working uh, with a college ministry. And what we would do is we would, uh, for spring break, we would gather a ton of college students and we would go to Guatemala for a spring break mission trip. And one of the times that we were there, uh, there was a local school in the city that we were staying that heard that we were there with the, the church that we were partnering with. So they, they were like, hey, like, we would love for you guys to come and, and share, you know, share with our students. And we're like, um, absolutely, we're going to take you up on that offer. And so grabbed a couple of our, our, our college students, and I said, hey, like, we're going to go, and, and I want you guys to share the gospel. I want you to share what God has done in your life. And they said, okay. And so we went, and, and we were, they, they were talking to like four to 500 high school students. I mean, you do that here, and it's just, you know, they're just on their phone the whole time. But, but when we were in Guatemala, there was none of that. There, there, was, there, was, there was respect. There was a little bit of honor that there, there are guests in our school Let's listen to the news that they're bringing. But the interesting part of this story is that I knew some of the families of the students that were with me when we were at the high school. And I knew that when they went home after that trip, they were going home to families that were not receptive of the gospel, to say it kindly. They were hostile. They were disrespectful to what, um, what they believed. And so it was hard for them. And it's easy to share your faith in a place where people don't know you. There's, not, there's no preconceived beliefs or notions about who you are or about the news that you're sharing. But in places that are familiar, there can often be contempt about the message you're bringing, the message about the kingdom of heaven. And so it's kind of like two sub-points to this point. We'll throw them on the screen. I think there's two groups of people that, that, that are really hard to share the gospel with. The first one is this. It's hard to share the gospel with people who think they know you. If you uh, come from a family that, that is not Christian, and maybe you put your faith in Jesus uh, later on in your life, you probably understand this. You try to go home to your family and share about what God has done in your life, but they're like, ah, you know, they're familiar with you. They're not listening to what you're saying. They know you as little Jimmy or little Rebecca. They think they taught you everything that you know, and there's nothing more that you could share with them. And so they discount your story. They marginalize your faith because they think they know you. If 
you're like me and you have had an old group of friends that you used to run with, right? And, and you try to bring the gospel to them, bring your story to them, and they have no idea what to do with you, right? Maybe they think, oh, you know, he's just being radical. Like, like he'll, he'll moderate, he'll become more moderate in the future. Like, he'll ease out. Or, oh, she's going through a phase right now. Uh, she's going through this religious phase because of some guilt. She'll be back to normal eventually. But then we're not back to normal eventually. And they don't know what to do with us. So sharing the gospel with people who think they know you is really hard. Second one is this. It's hard to share the gospel with people who think they know Jesus. I mean, there's so many different views about Jesus in the world. So many different boxes that people will put him in. I mean, to some, he's just a religious teacher from the first century. But not God. No, there's, it's impossible for someone to rise from the dead. Jesus can't—this man can't be God. There's a wall up when you try to share the gospel with that person and talk to them about the true Jesus. There's also people who have a half understanding of who Jesus is, right? Maybe some of you have this in your family where, where people understand, like, in their head, now, Jesus is the Son of God. He died for the sins of the world. But if they're honest with themselves, it's just head knowledge. It hasn't impacted their lives. They're not living for Jesus. You know, I feel like maybe a, a, your parents or grandparents are like this. Maybe they've been going to church for longer than you've been alive, and so they totally discount what you have to say. You know, they have a, they have a cultural faith, but it has no substance to it. And if they were to get really honest, hey, I don't— maybe they haven't fully put their trust in Jesus before, but they ridicule you and mock you for how religious you're being. When you bring the gospel and the news about the kingdom of heaven to these people, right, it's hard. Right, just like the people of Nazareth thought they knew Jesus, right, there's a lot of people in our lives that think they know Jesus. And it's hard to share the gospel with them because they already, they think they already know. They think they know the message that you're bringing to them, but they don't. And so it's hard to bring the gospel to places like this. So number one, in familiar places, it's hard to share the gospel. Number two, in familiar places, we still go even when it's hard. Right, Jesus knew everything. Jesus knew that going home to Nazareth was going to be hard. He knew that they were not going to have a lot of faith. But Jesus still went anyway. He went anyway with, with the news that he was sharing. And, and Jesus is calling us to go to those places as well. He's calling us to go to our extended family who have a very traditional Catholic religion, but not a saving faith in Jesus. He's calling us to go to our siblings with the gospel who think it's crazy that we're in church this morning. He's calling us to go to our coworkers, maybe an international coworker or someone who's never had a true, clear presentation of what the gospel really is. He's calling us to go to those places. And Jesus knew that they weren't going to have faith. He knew that only, he would only do a few miracles because of their unbelief, but he still went. He thought it was worth it. He still went for a few. Right? So when we think about our familiar places, as you're thinking in your, in your head, that hard place to go with, with, with the gospel— Friends, family, work, wherever. Jesus never promised that it was going to be easy. But he's, he's, he's calling us to share our faith, to share a testimony about what God has done in our lives. He's calling us to, to, to invite them to church, like for Easter, even though we're pretty sure they're going to say no. He's even calling us to do risky things, like asking someone to read the Bible with us. As we investigate who this Jesus guy is, or maybe ask if there's a way that you can pray for them. But here's the thing. All those things are hard, but it's absolutely worth it. Jesus thought it was worth it. And even if most people reject you, let's say you go to 10 people, 
All of them reject you. All of them ridicule you. But one person listens. One person accepts your invitation to Easter. It's absolutely worth it. Jesus went for the few that were going to believe. And so we go to the few in the familiar parts of our life, even if it's going to be hard and even if only a few will accept it. I think also, too, there's one of the reasons why it's hard for us to bring the gospel to familiar places in our lives is because we've tried it already. We've brought the gospel to our friends or a sibling or extended family, and it did not go very well, right? There, there was, it was met with some, some conflict. It was met with some walls. And so we think, all right, oh, Jesus, I mean, I, I did what you asked me to do, but that's kind of, that's a little, it wasn't easy. So maybe you're not actually calling me to do that. We, we think that because it's hard that maybe Jesus isn't calling us to go, but that's pretty quite the opposite of what we see Jesus do. He knew it was going to be hard, and he still went, and he's calling us to go to the hard, familiar places with the gospel. And I think also, number two, the second reason why, why it can be hard, is that maybe we've lo- lost a passion for people that are lost. Like, do you guys remember, before you put your faith in Jesus, what your life was like? Maybe the despair that you felt, the hope that you were lacking, the unknowns in the world. Like, sometimes we can forget what, it, what it's like or what it was like when, when we put our faith in Jesus. And maybe it's been so long since you've shared the gospel with someone and you've seen them come to Christ and you've seen the transformation that happens in their life that we've kind of just lost a passion for it. We've forgotten what it's like. One of my favorite hot takes is that I think Christian hip-hop has better truth than uh, most contemporary worship songs. And maybe it's because they can just like fit more words in the song and so they can talk about more things. But I, w- I was listening to this, this song a um, couple—I think it was probably two or three years ago, and it just hit me. It was by the artist Reconcile. He's not super well-known, so that's not very important. But he's describing in the song the transformation that has happened in his life since he put his faith in Jesus. And it's just, it's just raw, gut-wrenching, as he's explaining the despair that he felt. And there's one line that really caught my attention, and, and I haven't forgotten it. Um, we can throw it up on the screen. Don't worry, I'm not going to wrap it. I'll, I'll read it. As he's describing, do it. As he's describing what Jesus has done in his life, this is what he says. There's nothing different about me except Jesus who saved me. And that's enough to make a grown man cry. I've always loved that line ever since I heard it. Because isn't that so true? I entered into the kingdom of heaven with tears running down my face. I'm sure a lot of you did too. Right? It's just like this ultimate picture of full surrender to Jesus as the tears are coming down. Right? While, while the tears are coming, that's where the desperation of our sin and, and, and being under the condemnation of our sin meets the hope and joy that Jesus brings as the Holy Spirit transforms us. Second Corinthians says he makes us a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And we're welcomed in as new citizens of the kingdom of heaven. This is a beautiful picture. I, uh, Six months ago, we did a Family Fun Day here at Renovation Church. And Family Fun Day is very similar to what we're doing next week with Easter, where we have a bunch of services, people come to a service, they hear the gospel, and then after the service, they get a wristband, and they can head over, or they, I think tickets, and we can head across the street to Sunrise, where we had food trucks and a bunch of inflatables, and it was an awesome time. But our lead pastor, David, he grabbed me that morning. He's like, Matt, if you can, uh, sneak into some of these services at the end and see how God shows up. I was like, all right. I'll sneak in and see what happens. And so the, the, the first service that I go into, I, I'm in the back somewhere, and 
David at the end of his message, he's sharing the gospel. And he says, you know, some of you, if you need to take that step this morning, and then he calls them to, 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 to believe and calls them to stand up. And this guy, a couple rows in front of me, stands up. And he kind of is turning around as he stands up, and I see him, and he's just crying. Like waterfall on his face. He's just crying. And, and the part that made me cry was he's holding one hand, he was holding his daughter's hand. And the other hand, he was holding his wife's hand. I mean, it was just so perfect. Right, this picture about what happens when someone believes in Jesus for the first time. The hope that's restored, the restoration that comes in their life. Like, he, it's not just his family, or himself that's going to be changed. It's his family. It's his legacy. By the way, that's why we're doing eight Easter services next week. And that's why we're doing the largest egg hunt in the metro. Because we believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Amen? And so that's why we're doing it. That's why David's preaching eight times. Oh my gosh, I have to do it four times today? I thought that was a lot. So two, I mean, double that. It's crazy. But we believe that the gospel is the power of God to save. So that's why we go. That's why we go to the familiar places in our lives that are hard, where we're going to be ridiculed and mocked and rejected for the message that we're bringing. That's why we go, even if it's just for one person. And so I, I challenge you, this week, as we're thinking towards Easter and you're kind of praying about who God might, have put, might be putting in your life to invite and who you can bring to one of those Easter services, I challenge you to invite not just one person, but multiple people who you're pretty sure they're going to say no. But maybe one of them will say yes. And they'll come and hear the gospel and maybe their life will be changed. It's worth it. For one person, it's worth it. Now, I know some of you uh, really identify with Jesus in this story and you found it hard to go to familiar places in your life. But I, I think also on the other side of that, if we think about the people of Nazareth, the Nazarenes, maybe some of you don't have a re- personal relationship with Jesus. You haven't put your faith in him yet, and you're more like the people of Nazareth. You know about Jesus. You've heard about him. Maybe you have some preconceived beliefs and ideas about who he is, but you haven't submitted your life to him as Lord yet. And so this third point is, is really key. It's this. In familiar places, we want people to stay in their lane. The people of Nazareth liked Jesus. You know, he was an old buddy. You know, he's from Nazareth. There's a little bit of, you know, underlying pride there. Like, oh, he's one of us. And so they liked it when he was just kind of doing the normal thing. But the moment he starts sharing wisdom about the kingdom of heaven, the moment he does a couple of miraculous works, it's like, whoa, Jesus. Whoa, Jesus. Stay in your carpenter lane. That's your lane to walk down. Stop stepping over here. Stay in your carpenter lane. Right, the people of Nazareth would have been totally fine if Jesus visited home and he did what everybody else was doing. He went to the synagogue, right? He was, he was uh, surveying the, uh, observing the Sabbath. He was following the law, doing what everybody else was doing, all the religious works. But once he starts talking about being the Messiah, once he's doing a couple of these works, talking about the kingdom of heaven, whoa, Jesus, stay in your lane. And I feel like a lot of people today also want Jesus to stay in his lane. Right, if we think about it, okay, People think Jesus is a good teacher from the first century. Maybe some religions will even give you that he's a prophet. But God himself, son of God that that died and rose again. Whoa, Jesus. Stay in your lane. People like Jesus as a guy who loves them and loves everyone. But no, Jesus, when you start pointing out sin in my life, that's when you cross over into my lane. Stay in yours. Come on, Jesus, stay in your lane. And so maybe for a long time you've thought of this about Jesus. Like you've had some ideas about who he is, like this guy, this teacher, whatever. But maybe this morning you're thinking, maybe he's a little bit more. And come back next week because we will talk about the resurrection. It'll be great. 
that he is more than just that. And, and not only is Jesus the Son of God, or God himself, but he deeply loves every single one of you. And he deeply wants a personal relationship with you. He desires, he, he longs to forgive you of your sins because he already paid for it on the cross. So he wants to extend that forgiveness to you this morning. And the Bible kind of outlines what it looks like when someone turns from the, the spiritual death into spiritual life. And there's, there's really two steps. They're, they're not works. It's just kind of the process that happens. And the first one's this. The Bible uses the word repent. It's a word that means to change your mind or to, to, to change direction. And so when we get to the end of ourselves, and we say, all right, Jesus, I'm tired of doing my life on, on my rules, on my time, in my way. Let's do it your way. You know, I'm, I'm turning to you. And then when we put our full faith, our full trust in Jesus. And the Bible says when we do that, we're saved. We're, we're, we're given the Holy Spirit as an eternal seal. We're welcomed into the kingdom of heaven as a new citizen. We become a new creation. And so some of you this morning might need to take that step and say, all right, Jesus, get in my lane. Take it all. Take it all. And if that's you, if you need to take that step this morning— I would love to talk to you after the service. I'm going to be off to the side with some of the members from our follow-up team, and we would love to pray with you and talk with you as you take that step. But maybe some of you are, are still kind of checking things out, checking out Christianity, checking out Jesus. And that's awesome. I'm glad that you're here. Please come back next week as we talk about the resurrection and Easter. But we also want to give you a gift. So you can take the Bible underneath the, the seat in front of you. On the inside cover, there's an awesome Bible reading plan, and it'll help you get started as you start reading the Bible, start investigating who this Jesus guy really is. And I promise you, it's going to change your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for showing us the example. Your example of what it looks like to go home to places that are hard. To the familiar places in our lives, to family, immediate and extended, to friends, to co-workers, maybe students at school. To go to them with the gospel. So thank you for showing us that example. And God, I, feel, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. That you, would, that you would give us courage and strength as we go to those places, go to those people in our lives that we know you're calling us to go to, but man, is it hard. And so would you give us courage? Would you go before us and change their hearts that when we share, God, maybe one or maybe a few would believe. And God, as we, as we pray towards Easter next week, I ask that so many people that don't know you would walk through these doors and that through the presentation of the gospel, God, that you would save some of them, maybe even just one, because it's worth it. So God, we ask that you would show up in our invitations as we're inviting people, even people that we think are going to say no. We ask that you would blow our minds, that they would say yes, that they would come and maybe even put their faith in you for the first time. So it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.